Matthew chapter 6. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's hard-hitting. Any of you guys been uh, challenged by it? Okay, one person. That's good. Uh, I'm with you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. If you remember in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus spoke of the true intent of God's law. He started reading about out of God's law. The Pharisees interpreted the law. Remember their interpretation of the law? It was to benefit who? Whom? Them, right? Spiritual leaders in Jesus' day, they interpreted the law in a physical sense. And therefore, because they did not physically do these things, they thought that they were righteous before God. Do not murder. Well, I haven't murdered anyone. I'm right before God. And they taught others this. You don't kill someone, you're right before God. <clears throat> Do not commit adultery. I haven't committed adultery. I'm right before God. And so they have this righteous standard that they've created in their own, their own standard. Jesus comes along the scene and what does he do? He says, I say to you that if you have even anger in your heart towards your brother, you are guilty of murder. Ouch. He takes it to a whole new level. The, actually, the original intent of the law. Jesus reveals that God's laws weren't just physical laws to be obeyed, were they? They're also spiritual, the dealing with the heart of man. The righteousness of God, the righteousness that God requires, isn't just physical actions, isn't just the action of not murdering someone, not committing adultery, not stealing. The righteousness is thorough. He has yet to have a pure heart before him. So what does that do to us? What the law is intended to do reveals our sin. Apart from the law, we would not know sin. You wouldn't know, you know, know, hey, if it didn't say do not murder, You'd feel like you're justified. Well, it reveals that we're murderers in our hearts, that we have anger in our hearts. Where does murder come from? It comes from anger, uncontrolled anger towards someone. Unrestrained anger. And I believe that this is one of the reasons why, you know, uh, that, that Moses kind of wrote that law in there, but God gave him the, the out for divorce with, with infidelity is because that's what happens. You want to kill them. When someone cheats on you in marriage, you know? Kind of, that's a whole different topic, but I'm just saying that that anger just pours out of people. Murder, right? And he's talking about the heart. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. They've got everything on the outside perfect, right? Talk about model Sunday Christians. Every single time they tithed the right amount, they wore the right clothes, they said the right things, they did everything they were supposed to do, Monday through Friday, actually. But Jesus talked about their hearts. Their hearts were far from them. They knew how to talk the talk, but their hearts were far from the Lord. And this is the righteousness that God wants, the kingdom of the heart. God is all about the heart. 
He's all about the inner workings of man. Man is like what? Hey, if I just jump through these hoops, then God will be right for me. If I just say enough of these prayers, or if I just pray five times a day and get down on a mat, then at the end of my life, the good things will outweigh the bad. Jesus says, your righteousness is as filthy wags, rags. Uh, Isaiah said that. Your, your righteousness is as filthy rags. It's not right before me. Can't do it. You know, and, and, and other parts of the prophet says, you offer these sacrifices, but my heart, your hearts are far from me. He says, render your hearts, not your garments. They would come in the Old Testament and they'd tear their clothes as a sign of mourning. We're righteous before God and they tear their clothes. Oh, sin of the land. He says, rip your heart, not your clothes. I want your hearts. Boy, Jesus was on the scene and he was just hammering things. He said, you know, you've heard it was said. This is what you've been taught. But I tell you, this is what the Father's true intention with these things are. It's not just the outward actions. It's the inward heart. Like I said, it's not just murdering someone. It's it's being angry. It's not just committing adultery. It's lusting after someone. God wants our hearts. You know, Jesus was getting at that man's interpretation interprets God's laws in a way to make himself appear righteous. God's purpose for the law was to show us how unrighteous we were (laughs) and that we fall short. We've fallen, and that should do what? Drive us to who? Jesus. Help me, save me. I need that in my life. Lord, save me. So Jesus is teaching his disciples that they cannot attain the righteousness, the right standing God from their religious works. They'd have to exceed that of the Pharisees, which were perfection in many respects. As Jesus says at the end of chapter 5, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in in heaven is perfect. Ouch. Be perfect like he's perfect. I only know of one who was like that. It's an impossible task to fulfill God's law, not just physically, but, but, but perfectly in heart. But Jesus did it. He did it perfectly. By faith we are saved, not through works of our own, but by Christ who died for us. Amen? Isn't that what we hold on to? We are accepted because of Christ. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and born again, we are a new creation. We're no longer under the law. Yay! Right? But we're under grace. And now the Spirit of God dwells in us, and as we submit to Him, He fills us. And he gives us the power to live the, the life that Christ wants to live through us. Jesus living through us. That's what it's all about. I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. That's what we desire as Christians. Right? And Paul talks about the war though, right? The war of sin that is in us. No longer us but sinning, but sin that, that lives within us. And that war between the flesh and the spirit. Go check out Romans. It's pretty cool. So you guys, we're struggling that. The things I don't want to do, that I do. Anybody there? Yeah, just a couple. All right, good. Over half. We know we're doing good. He fills our hearts, and, he, and we begin to follow this life by the Spirit. And when this happens, we fulfill God's love, God's law, mainly to love one another. When the Lord possesses us, and we allow Him to live through us, we deny ourselves and follow Him, 
and he's living through us, guess what happens? The fruit of the Spirit, loving one another, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. This is what God desires of us. We can't manufacture these things. These are things that happen when he abides in us, when he just comes and dwells in us and lives, and we say, yes, Lord. And we begin to become these people. His Spirit living in and through us, we begin to experience life of a son and daughter of the living God. We begin to live out righteous lives because we have been made righteous. And this is what Jesus is getting to now in chapter 6. How, as a children of God, do we live out this life before the Lord? We've been made righteous. Well, that's cool. I love that. Now, how do we live this life? What is it? Obviously, it starts with abiding in the Lord. Submitting, laying things out before him. When he says stop, you stop. He says go, you go. And learning how to do that. Learning his voice. Reading scriptures, obviously just following the things that are in here that he's laid out for us. Not to attain righteousness, but because we're righteous. To follow the Lord. We want to please him. We want to live the life that pleases him. It's not about what's right or wrong anymore. It's not. That's a legal relationship. That's what happened under the law. He was right and we were wrong. Amen? It's now about a loving relationship with the Lord. We've been bought. That wrongness that we've done, it's been paid for. Yeah. And now we get to live in grace apart from sin. That's wonderful. Do we blow it? Yes, it's not, it's not like a you know, roller coaster. But this life continually submitted to the Lord. I love that. Because we begin to live out these righteous lives because we've been made righteous. I love that. We're in a love relationship with the Father, not a legal relationship, although it's been paid, you know? We're in a love relationship. We're His kids now, you know? Our sins are gone. We're declared innocent because of Jesus and have been given His Spirit and now are living for Him. So what does that look like? Verse 2. Well, first of all, verse 1. Because... Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So as children of the Lord, we've been made righteous, and now we live righteous lives. What are those righteous acts? Well, he starts talking. You know, we no, live long, we no longer live for man's approval, but we're living to praise our Father. Our righteous deeds are to be done with the intent to please Him. We're not to do it in front of man to get their praise. The physical act isn't what pleases God alone. It's the heart that sets us apart. It's the heart of our actions. It's the heart of going to church. It's the heart of witnessing to the lost. It's the heart of, of, of offering our tithes and offerings or giving to the poor. It's the heart. So be careful the way you do these things. If you're doing it for them, that's your reward. Bummer. So righteous deeds aren't necessarily righteous if our heart is in the wrong place. Very interesting. Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we do all these wonderful things? I never knew you. Depart from me. Whoa. Wouldn't you consider those righteous deeds, so to speak? I never knew you. I never had that relationship where you didn't come through the sun. You're on the outside. 
It's possible to do church well. It's possible to live a, a Christian culture life without knowing the Lord. What are the righteous deeds? My personal definition is this. This is my personal definition. What are righteous deeds? Actions that flow from loving God and loving one another. Or deeds that flow from obeying the Spirit of God. As you're in love with the Lord, puts it on your heart, you do it. As you're filled with the Spirit, you're walking down the road, you see someone in need, He prompts your heart to go do it, you do it. We're His. Amen? Amen. In every circumstance. So the Lord gives us some examples. Verse 2, what is, what is he talking about? So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing so that you get, your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. You know, giving to the needy is a righteous act when it flows from a pure heart before the Lord. Amen. Notice that he says not to give like the hypocrites in the synagogues or the streets, to be honored by others. Boy, isn't there just an inclination when that offering plate goes by to just kind of leave the check open? Or, you know what I mean? I'm just saying, there, there can be that inclination. Oh, look, you know, and you don't put the smallest bill on the outside, you put the biggest one. You know what I mean? It's human nature. We all do it. Or just me. I'm sorry. But it's, it's tendency to get praise for man. But who are we really giving to? We're giving to the Lord. We're truly giving to Him. We're not giving to CCF. We're giving to the Lord and His ministry here. This is His church. We're giving to you, Father, Spirit, Jesus, right here in this room with us. We're honoring you. We're your sheep. We love you. Giving to the needy is a righteous act when it flows from a pure heart before the Lord. But the Lord instructs us to exercise our giving in secret. Why? Obviously, it demonstrates faith. It demonstrates faith. Amen? Amen? Doesn't it? If you're given in secret, no one else is around. It's integrity. It's, it's, it's demonstrating, I truly believe who you are. I'm not doing it for anyone else. It's for you, Lord. That's awesome. That's why it says do it in, in faith. Faith pleases God. Faith is how we came to Christ. Faith is how we continue in Christ. It's the fuel. It's everything we are. Taking him at his word. Faith is how we grow in him by living to please, you know, the one you've never seen but you know exists to the extent that you even do your good works in secret so that it's between you and him. Wow. If you do it for man and honored by them, you have your reward. What a bummer. Wow, look at them. That's your reward. Huh. Wouldn't it be cool to get a reward from the Lord for doing something just between you and him? I can't wait for that day. He says we'll reward you openly. What's that going to be like? Wow. Think of all the things that you've done for him that... that that no one else knew about. You never even told anybody about. Just, you love him. How cool is that going to be on that day when he reveals that before the nations? That is going to be sweet. Store it for those treasures in heaven, amen? And when you pray, well, actually, we'll get there in just a second. 
So Jesus continues another righteous act. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. Notice first what Jesus has been saying. He's been saying the phrase, when you. You ever notice the phrase, when you? Not if you. When you give to the needy. When you pray. And as we'll get here in, in just a minute, when you, you know, when, you, when you fast, these are really interesting things. That these are kind of like the lifestyle of a Christian. Help, helping the needy and communicating with God on a regular basis is the norm for us. You know, these things flow out of our righteous, righteous relationship with the Lord. If you're hanging out with the Lord, if you're praying to Him, if you're touching Him, you know, in, in, in constant communication, if you're, you're reaching out to Him and these things are happening, Boy, just the righteous acts are going to flow. You're going to be wanting to talk to the Lord. You're wanting to be find out what, what His deal is. You're going to be wanting to help the people you see around you that are hurting because that's God's heart. It's going to flow through you. You know, you see a brother or sister in need, you're going to want to reach out to them and care for them and, and hurt with them, you know? So when you pray, be careful. Don't pray like the hypocrites standing in the churches and on the street corners. To be seen by men. Like giving, we're not to pray to receive praise from people. What's the purpose of prayer? What's the purpose of prayer? Interface with the Lord? Agreement? Yeah, two parts, right? Speak to the Lord and to hear from the Lord, right? What we've been hearing, agreement, get our hearts aligned, honor him, go to him, express faith, right? When we have a different motive, we're going to experience neither. <laughs> Maybe a little discipline, I don't know. We have our reward. We've spoken to man and for men and we've heard from men. Yay. I want to hear from the Lord, don't you? I want to come through like crazy. So how should we pray? But when you pray... Not if you pray. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, faith. You and the Lord getting alone and having that conversation. It's a part of your life. Make it a part of your life. Abide in Him and let it happen. Even if it's for five minutes, just get it flowing in your life. Get it flowing. That's who we are to be. If we don't have prayer in our lives, Boy, something's wrong. If we don't have evangelism in our lives to some degree, something can be wrong. You know, not saying you're out there Billy Graham in it, but I mean, are you communicating the gospel in some way? Are you shining your light in to whatever degree that God's given you? You know? Difficult. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees you, what is done in secret, will reward you. Does this mean that you, you shouldn't attend church prayer meetings? Yes. We've got divided room. Yes. Ushers, escort them out. Oh. There's an example. In the New Testament, there's example after example of the New Testament church gathering together for prayer. I'm just going to go for the first four chapters of Acts and give you four different verses. Uh, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill they called Mount Olivet. Remember what happened? Jesus arose and said, hey, I know, you're going to see me come back the same way I did. And they're looking up and goes, why are you surprised? And all this type of stuff. 
So anyways, they go back to Jerusalem, right? They go back to the Jerusalem after Jesus has risen. He ascended into heaven. They return to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olivet, Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, and they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers and sisters. There was this community of brothers and sisters praying together. But I bet you each single, every single one of those, those people had a, had a thriving prayer life alone with the Lord. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Chapter 3, verse 1, one day when Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, uh, after uh, they went up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon, they were devoted to praying together in a public place. Yes, they prayed together before the Lord as was their custom. They had customs of prayer. Four, chapter 4, verse 23 of Acts, right after Peter and John were flogged by the religious leaders for preaching in the name of Jesus, remember that? They sent them away, and what happened? On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. It's not an excuse for you to, you to ditch out. It's not about the location. It's about your heart. It's about the heart. Am I doing this to, to grab attention to a, and to appear spiritual and all these things in front of people? Or is my heart before the Lord? Do I already have that thriving relationship? And then I come in with my brothers and sisters and we, and we, we join together in prayer. Strong biblical arguments for both. So be a part of it. Let's, let's do what he says. Are you praying to be heard by man? Are you trying to impress someone? The sad thing is that anyone who's been praying to the Lord for a while knows when someone's blowing smoke. Isn't it true? <laughs> if you kind of have that thriving relationship with the Lord, you're trying not to, but you just know. Yeah, Matt's just uh, full of it today. I don't know. Someone left. No. no. <laughs> yeah. So Jesus gives further instruction in prayer. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Think about this in your own prayer life. Don't go on babbling like pagans in the day. They just mumble off a bunch of things because they think they're going to be heard because they say a bunch to God. Right? Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He just knows what you need before you need it. Isn't that good about the Lord? You don't have to... Worry about how you need to express it. You can just go before God, and he goes, I get you. I just want you to come to me so we can have a great time together, and I can give you that that you requested, you know, and work that out. Now, don't start that crazy cult of praying like that, all right? But isn't that great about our Father? Don't be like them, for your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask, you ask Him. The rosary. How many of you guys grew up a Catholic background? I'm sorry. I, for the life of me, I cannot understand that. And I'm, I understand that it originally probably started as something good to try to remember the Lord. But look at what it does. After Jesus just said that, you have the rosary. Let me just give you an example of what it does. Eight things here. Make the sign of the cross and say the Apostles' Creed, which is, you know, a, a kind of a, a 
a doxology there. And then say our Father, not just the word our Father, but the prayer our Father. Then say three Hail, Hail Marys. Say glory to say the glory be to the Father. Announce the first mystery, then say our Father. Then say ten Hail Marys while meditating on the mystery. Uh, the mystery. And say the glory uh, be to the Father. You know, announce the second mystery, then say our Father. Repeat, repeat six and seven and continue with the third, fourth, and fifth mysteries in the same manner. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and then believe uh, some of my my brothers and sisters who were, weren't in the Catholic faith. You can call audibles in that, right? That's a football term. You can <laughs> you can call audibles like if you want to get someone out of purgatory. You can pray it in a certain way. You have to pray it before and during and after, and then you can you can actually because of this prayer, the way you do it, you can pull someone out of out of temporary hell, like hell light, you know. You can, you can, I'm just saying. He just said, don't pray in vain repetitions. I tell you what, I do three Hail Marys and it becomes very vain to me really quickly. And I know there are many people who, who pray this and pray to Mary and do these things. And, and I'm just trying to say that we look at Scripture and what it says and all of a sudden we as Christians, Protestants as well, get the formula for God to hear us. If I just tag in Jesus' name at the end of whatever I say, then he's got to do it. Amen? It's dangerous. God wants our hearts. It's not a formula. We come before him humbly, and we cry out to him. We come before him boldly, and we cry out to him. He loves us. He knows what we need before we say it. And so Jesus, he comes here, and, and, and there's other passages where, where his disciples say, hey, Lord, teach us to pray. We kind of really, we're kind of used to the temple prayers and all this stuff, but teach us to pray the way you pray. I mean, we see this fascinating prayer life that you have, Lord. What is it that you do? And Jesus says, he, he just kind of lays it out for him. Don't, you know, don't babble like pagans and all these other things. He says, in verse 9, he says, this, this is how you should pray. Or in this manner, like this, not exactly. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then the church adds, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and forever. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Now, it's a simple model prayer. I taught on this when we, when we first started around a year ago, and you can go back on the internet and do the prayer series that we did to get an, an in-depth teaching on that. But, I mean, just, it's kind of interesting is that the Lord just talks about not making vain repetition, and then what do we do? We pray the Lord's Prayer over and over and over and over. And it, be, it can become Vain. Because our hearts aren't in it. We think because we pray this formula that God hears us. No, it's all about relationship. So we look at this, and it's just simple in this, in this aspect. He said, you know, not to do that. Remember, prayer is not to twist, twist God's arm. It's to get our hearts aligned with His will. You know, and so forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He goes on, verse 14, For if you forgive others... 
when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Pretty straightforward, amen? Read the parable of the wicked servant in Matthew 18, 23 through 35, and read about how God takes, uh, how, how we do peacemaking, right? And when we deal with conflict right there in Matthew 18. He was forgiven. Remember that guy? He was forgiven. He went out and he took it out on everybody else who he didn't forgive. And then his master came back and said, you wicked servant, you're going to jail. Again, we forgive. Don't mess with verse 14. I can't spin it, okay? Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show off that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you fast... Oh, when you fast. That's interesting. Talking to his disciples. Are we disciples of Jesus Christ? Amen. Want to fall in the same suit. When you fast, <clears throat> not a very popular American culture type of thing because we like our comfort. Amen. Fasting is, is forging, is, is foregoing food, you know, for a time to seek the Lord. Denying self. Denying our, our flesh for a time that the spirit might increase. Now you might think, well, I can't concentrate when I don't eat. Okay, that's why Jesus talks about fasting. It's, it's a discipline, and I don't know if you've ever tried it or not, but when you fast, it's just like after a while, you forget about the hunger, and then this spiritual surge happens, and you begin to really just focus in on the Lord, and these things can be broken. It's really interesting in the scriptures. They're just, it's a mystery quite, off, quite really to me, a lot of it. You know, Jesus comes down everybody's, from the mountain. Everybody's kind of picking on the disciples. They couldn't cast out a demon. Why not? Jesus says, because this kind can only come out with fasting and prayer. Interesting. Now, why is that? I don't know. But there's an element of fasting in our lives, breaking spiritual strongholds, seeking the Lord for wisdom. When they elected leaders in the church, what did the leadership do? They fasted and they prayed. They humbled themselves before the Lord. Fasting and prayer needs to be a part of our lives. They're decision-making processes. When you have a big decision in your life, you have something going on that's scaring the heck out of you, whatever it is, fast and pray. Set aside a meal. Set aside a day. I understand there's medical situations that we're all under and things like that. Maybe you, it's, listen, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. Go back to the heart, right? Maybe you just don't watch TV for a day. Maybe you just, you know, you, you don't eat this special thing you'd like to have. But just denying yourself just to have undivided focus on the Lord, right? <clears throat> and this is really quickly, I've got two minutes. This is kind of hard because he says, don't do it like the Pharisees did. You know what they did? They would totally like have horrible like faces. They'd walk around going, I'm fasting everybody, you know, and they'd have their clothes all torn and walk around, you know, you know, I'm great, you know, and they just do this whole thing. I'm so spiritual, I'm suffering for the Lord. And everybody look at them and go, wow, man, you are, you rock. I want to be just like you. I mean, some Jewish thing, I don't know. But they would. Jesus said they have their reward, the praise of men. When you pray, put on some lotion on your face. Don't look all worn out. Comb your hair, take a shower, brush your teeth. Look normal, put a smile on your face. Don't tell other people, it's just between you and the Lord that you're fasting. Now we run into situations with our family. You know, if I'm fasting, I'll tell Christine. You know, few and far between, obviously. But, um, 
you know, hey, honey, I'm not going to be able to eat tonight because of this. You know, it's cool. And believe me, she knows I'm no spiritual superstar, so it's all good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had a friend that we'd meet often for lunch, and, and one day, you know, he, he, uh, he said, yeah, he's can't eat lunch with you. And I pressed him on it. He said, oh, you know, man, I'm, I'm fasting. You know? I'm like, oh, that's cool. But, you know, it's, it wasn't, he didn't come out and go, hey, Matt, I'm, I'm fasting today. Uh, we can't eat. I won't, be fa- I won't be able to eat actually for a week and a half. You know, I mean, <laughs> no. It's between you and the Lord, right? Maybe it's a time for you and your, you and your spouse, you fast together, praying over your children, maybe a, a stronghold that would be broken, whatever. I don't know, as the Spirit leads, amen? It's all about the heart, friends. It's all about the heart. What are you doing in your life? How are you doing it? Why are you here? Now, I don't want you to go anywhere. But why are we doing what we're doing? And everything. It's got to be for Him. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom of the heart. And just a little minor note, that's why the Bible is really, 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 it's hardcore being a leader in a church. You know, and, and I, I need your prayer. You know, as, as a pastor, I don't want to just put it on me, but leading spiritually in your home, leading in different circumstances, it, you know, there's temptation to get the praise for men, the way that you put the paper in so front of someone's desk so that they see that it was your name on top. You know what I mean? Whatever it is. The way that I pray and use certain words in front of you guys to, you know what I mean? We all have those temptations. So, always, why am I doing this, Lord? Is it because I love you? If not, I better just bow out this time and come back next time. Amen? Don't get discouraged because the enemy is going to be constantly warning you. He's going to constantly be like, oh, you unrighteous person. You have a wicked thought. You might as well get out of here. Actually, get up right now. Yeah, I'm going to get up right now. You better go. I'm going to go. And you leave. Think of how many sheep that you know have been discouraged that way. So, anyways, that's a little side note. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, I pray that we wouldn't do our righteous deeds in front of people to get praised by them, but so that you would get the glory. And Lord, we we ask for the teaching of your word this morning, that it would be to your glory, that you would receive all honor and glory and praise. I thank you that you use things that are not, things that are foolish, things that are weak, Lord, to bring your glory. And I, and I look at my brothers and sisters in here this morning, and I see a lot of us who, uh, who are just uh, candidates for your grace and for your power to flow through us. We all are. And I ask, Lord, that our, our intentions would be pure and that, that we would actually walk in the righteous the righteous things that you've prepared for us, God. All the good works, like Stephanie was talking about. Lord, I just ask for your, your power to be poured out through us. I ask for you to cleanse us and make our motives pure. Help us to go get them, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.